everyone and welcome to another episode of the IVSA Liverpool podcast, the only podcast in the world dedicated solely to veterinary students, giving you the tips, information and all things veterinary to get the most out of your university life and your career. My name is Mike and today we have got the amazing opportunity that we're Taylor Miller, uh, who is part of the Not One More Vet organisation. Taylor, before we start, could you just introduce yourself in terms of your background and your involvement with the, the Not One More Vet organisation? So I am a veterinarian in the state of Oregon in the United States, and I have been practicing as a vet for 10 years, but I became very interested in mental health part of the way through vet school, actually. And so once I graduated from vet school and got into clinical practice, I began a master's in mental health counseling at night online. And so ah. uh-huh, I know as if I didn't have enough to do. Um, <laughs> And so I finished that and began looking for ways to engage with the mental health of the veterinary community. And NAMVI presented itself as the obvious choice of organizations to align myself with. And I joined their student support group. So in particular, I'm interested in the mental health of veterinary students and how we can perhaps transform the veterinary student experience such that we graduate people who are better prepared to defend their boundaries essentially and maintain their own mental health during their careers so that their careers can be more successful and enjoyable and fulfilling. Mm. I suppose it very much in terms of developing the the skills and the the ways of coping and dealing with the, the stresses the industry involves at that stage going through the education. So you've already got those things in place when you qualify and enter the, the world of practice. Exactly. And the habits built up, because I think so often in the student world, we assume that once I graduate, then I'll start taking care of myself. Then I will start paying attention to these things. And instead, what we've done is developed four years of hardcore habit of putting ourselves last. And that habit is really hard to break. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for anyone that uh, doesn't know a huge amount about the organization, obviously over here, it's not one more vet movement isn't as big because obviously it's just it's mainly US based at the moment. A lot of people know exactly what the non-V organization and movement's about. Uh, so if you could just give everyone a sort of a, a brief overview of the organization and what its aims are and how it's really wanting to uh, to change the, the face and the uh, working environment of the veterinary industry. Absolutely. So the Facebook group that we know as Not One More Vet for Veterinarians was founded by Dr. Nicole MacArthur in response to the death of Dr. Sophia Yen, who, as we know, was one of the shining stars in especially veterinary animal behavior and was an advocate for low stress handling. She did amazing things in our world and we lost her um, to suicide. And so this Facebook group started as just a private group for veterinarians to connect, and that was in um, 2014. And then it began to grow and grow. And in 2017, it became a nonprofit. And then things began just to snowball after that. Um, 2020 is when the student aspect of the Facebook support was established. And in 2021, so just earlier this year, was when the student support group committee was founded. And the student support committee Um, is where I'm at, and I'll give you a little more information on that later, but broad spectrum, the mission of NAMVI in word for word is to transform the status of mental wellness within the profession so veterinary professionals can survive and thrive through education, resources, and support. And so those are the three main tenets, the education piece, 
Um, we have speakers that are interested and able to talk to mental health topics. And because of our newly embraced Zoom world, we can do this anywhere. Um, I've got a speech lined up in Hong Kong. I've got one lined up in Portugal. We play with time zones a little bit and it can be interesting, but Absolutely. we're ready to communicate and we're ready to spread the word of some of these mental health problems <laughs> are so critically important. We're also working with several universities to fund some research projects that will give us more insight into where things go wrong, essentially, why so many incredibly wonderful, generous professionals who are capable in so many ways aren't as capable at keeping themselves healthy and yeah. maybe what's going on. We also have online crisis support that will be launching in January. It's called Lifeboat and it's for all veterinary professionals. So if you are in the veterinary world, regardless of whether you've qualified, um, mm -hmm. it's for you and it provides peer support that is backed up by uh, a mental health professional. So you don't be, you won't be talking to the mental professional yourself, but the people you are interacting with are supported. And so you've got that much more support beyond just a phone call to a crisis line, which is critical, but maybe doesn't provide the wraparound care that will give you the best support. I think what the, the main things is really um, making sure that things don't get to the point for individuals that they're thinking that taking their own life is the only option that they've got left. Yeah, and that's where hopefully the education piece and the early support and compassion come in. Um, so often as veterinary professionals, our response to a problem is that I have failed. Not mm -hmm. that medicine is complicated, the world is difficult, yeah. I'm doing the best I can, and people can yeah, see. It, it's been a long time coming, really, the, the emphasis that, that's, that this is needed in terms of the, the general mental health of the profession and all of the many downfalls that it has at times in terms of just how isolating it can be. Feeling that, you know, you are on your own with this and, you know, you're feeling a little bit helpless at times, especially yeah. in terms of unreasonable expectations that the public has. They are completely unreasonable. And one of the lines of inquiry and lines of discussion that I've been having recently with people on this topic is this habit that we have as excellent students, right? We had to be excellent students to get into vet school and to keep pace with vet school. But how do we know that we're good? We get a paper that's graded and handed back to us. We have other people tell us if we are succeeding or we're not succeeding. And that's the standard that we set our lives up around, right? We, we know if we're doing okay by the grades that we get and by the feedback from our professors that we get. And then when we get into clinical practice, who do we give that power to? We don't instantly understand that we can internalize that, that idea that we can decide if we're doing well or not. We hand that power over sometimes to our colleagues, but more often to our clients because they're the ones in the room with us. And they're the ones who tell us if they're happy or they're not happy with our job. Mm -hmm. But our clients are not qualified to evaluate our abilities as veterinarians and as veterinary professionals. And yeah. so their feedback doesn't jive with maybe the internal bits of us that are beginning to have an idea if we're doing a good job or not. Absolutely. And so that dissonance can be a huge source of distress, I believe. Now, this, this could be opening a little can of worms here, but would you say that the industry has potentially gone the way of more consumer-based mentality in terms of the customer's always right and away from the sort of more of a, an authority position in terms of the doctors have? 
I think you've hit it exactly on the head. I actually had a, a staff meeting where my leading veterinarian asked us as a group who our competitors were. And all of us began trying to think of the veterinary hospitals in the local vicinity. And he told us that our main competitor was Starbucks and all of us were sort of flabbergasted. We were also exhausted. It was the end of a long day. But he told us the customer is always right and that we needed to treat our customers the way Starbucks did with a smile and an accommodation level that went beyond reason when you're dealing with medicine because medicine does not cooperate. And I think it's the, um, I think it can be seen in the education side of it in terms of how much more emphasis is put on the communication side. And in terms of the client compliance, in terms of making sure that they're giving their pets the adequate aftercare that they're needed. But in terms of the, the rest of it, do you think there needs to be a bit more of a shift in terms of the relationship that that vets have with their clients in terms of there needs to be a bit more of an authority figure there, making sure that essentially their pet's getting the correct care that they need. I wish I had the answer for that because I feel like that would solve so many of the mental health conundrums that we get ourselves into in terms of how we're treated by clients and how much energy, emotional energy we have to expend on a daily basis to Mm -hmm. manage those relationships that could be going into the medicine itself, um, as you're describing. I think we have to remember that the only people we can control are ourselves. And so knowing what we're entering, those are the skills that we most need to prepare, how to set boundaries, how to defend Mm -hmm. those boundaries, how to, in a professional manner, make sure that you don't let people step all over you, which in itself is a struggle. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed uh, in terms of here is the whole vets are only in it for the money it's all a money-making game you know look how much they charge us etc i don't know what it's like over there um but i think for us over here i think it's that um real naivety in terms of how much healthcare costs obviously we have the nhs so i think people's views on what they're getting is just completely skewed because they've never had to pay for healthcare. you know oh absolutely we hear that all the time you're only in it for the money you don't care about the pets. And it's so fundamentally wrong that it's hard to even defend yourself against it because I don't know a single veterinarian who is in it for the money. I know a number of veterinarians who have developed an awareness that you have to maintain business sense, but that's about as far as it gets. And so if if you're wanting to become rich, there's a lot of better things to do than become that. I mean, plumbers and electricians, some of our skilled industry members and partners at the end of the day probably bring home more than we do. So I think as well as a lot of it's people are thinking that the vets are getting all this money when the vets aren't setting the prices, you know, the vet vet just gets a salary. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not it's not making these millions of pounds out of. Oh, exactly. And that is an aspect of what NAMV is hoping eventually to be able to address is public perception, both about the mental health of the veterinary professionals to maybe gather some compassion in from the public, but also yeah. to raise awareness about what the veterinary industry is like. And they have a program called NAMV Advocates, and it's open for anybody. So you can be a member of the veterinary community, you can be a friend or a family member of someone who is a vet. But these advocates are just people who learn about what NAMBI is about, learn about some of these startling statistics, uh, the mental health of our industry, and set up programs or fundraisers or, or even just walk randomly into veterinary clinics with treats or 
gifts or something to say we, yeah. we appreciate. I, I, I love that. I think I think we need more of that over here. Uh, myself, I've just signed up to be a, an advocate for, for Nambu's. And, um, you know, I, I'm really wanting to sort of push that, the whole ethos that Nomvi has. But you've got a thing called Wave over there, isn't it, where you basically, you're sending, is it e-card? Yep, e-cards that you pay for and they get sent to a veterinary professional to express appreciation. And then a dollar from each of those e-cards goes into Nomvi to fund our student program specifically. So it's, it really is a quick feedback to... Um, helping students and one of the initiatives that we're working on for students specifically yeah. is to develop chapters within you know veterinary institutions to begin to establish those wellness habits and wellness thoughts yeah, and well, awareness. I, I think I think there's a real uh, real scope for things over here in terms of developing that side of it. So I'd love to see how that transpires in the future. Obviously, we've um, we're still in the middle of a pandemic at the moment. I think that's brought a hell of a lot of things to the surface well, within the veterinary community and provided a hell of a lot of extra struggle for an already struggling industry. Firstly, how's COVID affected the work that uh, the Nambu has been doing? I think if anything, it's just given us one more reason to work harder, work faster, and see if we can get some of these programs launched and develop. I think what you're leading up to and what we've noticed, especially over here as well, is the tension in the relationships between veterinary professionals and their clients sometimes between each other, have just intensified and become more and more adversarial rather than being the partnership that is what's most going to benefit a pet. Um, we're getting more and more negative reviews, more and more people demanding unreasonable outcomes and mm -hmm. failing to have compassion for the fact that we're all working 12-hour days. And no, I can't fit your nail trim in. I'm so sorry, but yeah. I, I just cannot. It is not physically, mentally, yeah. emotionally, logistically possible. But it's a sort of it's that whole uh, thing I've touched on before in terms of you don't expect this from doctors. So why are you making these unreasonable expectations on that? Right. And it's because we have been over backward in the past and we yeah. have unfortunately set up that expectation, maybe not intentionally, but we are a group of people who are compassionate, responsive, we're people pleasers, we're perfectionists. We have this collage of wonderful personality traits that allows us to succeed, but it also tends to lead to us giving away the best of ourselves rather than drawing in and maybe being deliberate about how we invest our energy. I, I have uh, friends and I have family members who are practicing vets and they've noticed that there's a big difference now in terms of the way clients treat them. It's made life quite horrific, really. I'm an optimist in general. And so I tend to try to find the best possible explanation for people's bad behavior because I don't like to believe that people are awful. It, it yeah. makes that world darker. Sort of trying to be empathetic in the fact that these are their pets and, you know, it's going to be stressful for them. But at the same time, there needs to be sort of that general respect, I think, the need that's lacking. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm 100% on board with behavior that needs to change. But the theory that I've come up with, and this is not backed up by anything other than statistics that I've read and my own mental health background, is that anxiety and depression are on the rise across the population because of COVID and the pandemic. So yeah. this is not just isolated to veterinary medicine, although obviously we feel the effects as well. Mm -hmm. But what we know happens in the brain when people have an elevated level of anxiety is their ability to interpret um, nonverbal cues is reduced. Yes, yeah. And so they lose the ability to see our empathy and our compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, they feel less caring from us, so they're not going to extend as much caring. 
And it also puts people into a reactive mode. Sometimes anxiety and depression show up as um, irritability or lack of patience, all of which we're seeing in our clients and probably experiencing ourselves and having to overcome in ourselves. But that's the difference. We're working to try to maintain that professional relationship and our clients are not extending us the same courtesy. They're not trying to meet us halfway there. Yeah. Do you think it's more the fact it's created new problems or the fact it's just exacerbated the problems that were already there within the industry? Probably a combination of both. I think that we've been on a trend for a long time of losing our professional standing in the eyes of our clients. You know, we're Mm -hmm. in our effort to present ourselves as partners in the care of their pets. Mm -hmm. I think we have lost some of that authority that you were describing, that ability to ask for things ourselves Mm -hmm. and demand things for ourselves. Is it in the fact that like you need to do this, you know, for the for the good of your pet? Mm-hmm. Or advocacy has become more of an ask and a plea rather than a dictate. Yeah, very much so. Um, and in terms of like, what are your views in terms of like celebrity vets and, you know, uh, these like programs and things? Uh, do you think that that sort of thing, it adds to the, the unreasonable expectations that uh, the public puts on the veterinary industry? Doubtless. And I don't want to point fingers at the veterinarians themselves because it's obviously in the the way the film is presented. You know, mm-hmm. they cut out the parts where maybe there's yeah. indecision or problems and they just piece together all of this timeline that shows a miraculous solve to this difficult situation that yeah. doesn't show the money either that happened during this transaction. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think there needs to be more public representation of the veterinary industry, but I think more in terms of like a realistic approach in terms of, you know, celebrating the amazing work that goes on, but also the fact we're not miracle workers. Right. And the fact that, you know, that, you know, not everything can be fixed. Right. Well, and and also the, I think people have a hard time understanding how hard, how much work is actually going on behind the scenes. You know, they see the single calm two people in the exam room with you. And they don't see the five people in the treatment area who are literally running, who aren't going to the bathroom, who haven't had a drink of water for the past six hours, who are working themselves into the ground to make sure that things are flowing for them. And, and I mean, one, we need to stop doing that to ourselves. We need to allow ourselves these bathroom breaks, these drinks of water. We need to be able to focus on our tasks. So we have to find a way to support ourselves, but also communicate to the public that, you know, our life in the veterinary hospital is about their pets. We are doing absolutely everything that we're capable mm-hmm. of and we need their help to get the rest yeah. of the way. Not just thinking about making a quick bug. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So you, you briefly touched on it before. Can you tell us a bit more about the research that NumV is currently work or working on in the future? Or Absolutely. So the, the current project that's that's ongoing is a project that's trying to look at the intersectionality identity. <laughs> the scope of this project is in the U.S. of the veterinary community to evaluate how that affects mental health, help-seeking, and suicidality. So, you know, we, veterinary medicine is kind of behind the curve in terms of of embracing and supporting diversity within the Mm -hmm. profession itself. And we're trying to look at how that impacts these factors in these individuals who have an identity that's outside of the, this, you know, this very narrow window of, um, you know, white, straight, cis um, identity. And so we're 
hoping to bring more light and to shed more light into how that impacts community. So in terms of the, uh, our audience, our, our students predominantly, what would you, advice would you give to uh, veterinary students if they think they need the help? Yeah, things are just getting too much for them. First, I mean, the most important is to realize you're not alone. And I think the the better able you are to connect, especially with classmates who are open to conversations about mental health, the more support you can build for yourself in your learning community, the better you will have that support who knows what you're going through, exactly what you're going through, what tests have happened, what personalities are impacting you. Building that, building those relationships among your peers I think will ultimately give you the most support going throughout the years, but mostly just remembering that you're not alone and that, I mean, vet school, it's a crucible. It changes you. It, it defines many aspects of you. It brings things to the surface that maybe you didn't realize were there. It's an intense experience. Yeah, so advice would be to invest in those relationships that will provide you support and understanding realize you're not alone and find a way to talk about mental health and to talk about your struggles. Two of the things that I think are most important mental health wise in the veterinary student years are to realize that the habits, like I mentioned, that you set up now are the ones that intentionally or unintentionally you are going to carry into your clinical practice. So you're setting the tone now for what life is going to be like in the veterinary world, both in terms of you know, your education, your focus, and what pets you're interested in, but also in how you take care of yourself. And setting up those self-care habits are so critical. And if that means you need to reach out to a professional outside of the veterinary community and develop a relationship with a mental health professional, that's fantastic. Um, support groups, community groups, a way to have support outside the vet school can be valuable as well. And then the other piece is to learn a little bit about the imposter phenomenon. I found that whenever I talk about the imposter phenomenon with student groups, there's this kind of collective sigh of, oh, I'm not alone. This is happening. And the imposter phenomenon tells us that we are not as smart as people think we are, that we are not as accomplished as people think we are. And so we have to work twice as hard to keep up this facade that we belong, that we deserve to be here, that it's okay for us to be here. And part of that facade is not showing anyone how much we're struggling. And that yeah. can be the piece that gets us in trouble because sharing our struggles will often often have the result that other people will share their struggles and there'll be that sense of bonding of oh we're in this together and if we're in yeah. this together it's going to be okay i suppose there's a certain sense of showing the the vulnerable side of it really in terms of the fact that at the end of the day we're human and we're trying to do the best job that we can mm -hmm. and unfortunately part of the professional persona that has been developed is this idea of infallibility that in order to be a professional, we have to be infallible and we have to be in control. And I think what we are finally starting to recognize is that you can practice good medicine and be a stressed out, anxious ball of energy that's zigging in all sorts of directions. And you can still do good medicine. You don't have to be perfectly controlled to deliver good medicine, good service. Yeah. So it's okay to show that side of you that maybe isn't okay. And that doesn't mean that your quality of medicine is suffering. No, I totally agree with that. So obviously the, the universities, this side of the pond, I think they are doing more of an emphasis on the, the mental health side of things. What, what's it like in the States in terms of the ability to access help? It varies quite widely by university. You know, we have... Um, 
we have things spread out all across the states and in the Virgin Islands. And I think the response varies significantly university by university. We are in Nambi, we're collecting representatives from each of these universities and they tell quite different stories about what mm. the environment is like in schools. Some schools have uh, mental health professionals on site associated with the school working with students directly to try to institute change in how they care for themselves. We've had feedback from a couple schools that they'd rather not be associated with us because we're promoting thoughts of suicide, which feels so archaic and problematic yeah. that- yeah. Um, so you need, you, need to, you need to bring the problem to the surface to be able to address it. Exactly. And so it's disheartening to feel that there are still places where that's the response to what we're yeah. trying to do. But I think that there's enough of a grassroots wave among the students that it's it's going to change their universities. I, I, it may take a little longer, but I can't imagine that that cry for help will go unanswered. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that brings me to my uh, to my next question, really, is what do you think students should do if, if they can't access the, the help that they would need, you know, in terms of the services from the university? Sometimes it, even here, it seems like there's a never ending waiting list. It's so frustrating to hear. It will take more work, but there is a growing base of literature, of YouTube videos, of podcasts out there that specifically address mental health, well-being, how to manage, how to manage aspects of, of well-being that maybe we weren't taught as kids, that maybe we don't realize are available to us. And so you'll have to do more work searching those out. But I mean, TED Talks can be a very valuable source for information. Although I have sadly neglected it, I have my own podcast, Veterinary Mental Health, where I try to address some mental health pieces that are specific to the veterinary world. There are our blogs, there's a news, Nambi does a newsletter, so they'll, they'll tie in things. The Facebook group in Nambi is free and it's a peer support area. So in that veterinary student forum, full veterinarians, professors aren't allowed. So it's a place where you're able to talk about about what you need to as students in order to make it through. And so that's a significant resource, but there's also just this growing area and body of literature about mental well-being that you can access, although it will take more focus and work on your part. <laughs> well, Taylor, thank you ever so much for this. I think it's been great in terms of realizing that uh, we are all in this together and no matter the country or uh, time zone divide that we're all having the same struggles and we're all just trying to get through this together yes well and thank you for everything that you guys do at IVSA this is a valuable resource for students as well and I appreciate the work that you guys are doing and that you're putting into this everyone that's listening at the moment don't be, be afraid to reach out if you're struggling at the moment there's a lot of resources out there if you're feeling like things are just getting too much please reach out to Vet Life or the Samaritans or even to your peers we we just want to help so guys thank you very much thank you for listening